0: Hello everyone, this is Kathak Kachakkar. My name is Pramit and this place is designed to be a central platform to bring conversations with Kathakars across the globe. Let's go. So. Um... Today, I'm really happy to have with me Aditya Sharma uh, and uh, he's been a Kathakar for eight years now and he did his training in India and now he's based out of the UK where he's doing a master's in management and marketing. He's also the artistic director of Yadra Dance Productions. Aditya, how are you?
1: Hi, nice to meet you. Uh, I'm good. I'm doing well, just in quarantine at home. Yes, yeah, so How are you, how are you keeping up with that? Uh, it's going good. The weather is pretty nice. Um, I've finally sort of settled into the UK weather again after a long break in India. So slowly moving into the flow of things. It's going good. That's
0: awesome. So uh, let's start off with your Instagram handle because it's pretty interesting. Um uh, whenever When I was thinking of my Instagram handle, I was I thought I thought came up with the Kathak dude and I thought I was being original. I thought no one else has done, done something similar. Then I saw your page and it's the dancer boy. So could you tell us a little bit about how you came up with that and why that's important
1: to you? Right. Um, the dancer boy actually became my identity <laughs> after a while. Um, it very honestly was a spontaneous thing. I didn't really think about it. Um, to be honest, the, the name, the dancer B-O-Y was taken. So I ended up switching to B-O-I. And uh, it so happened that after that, when I started posting content and started posting videos, people recognized me as that dancer boy instead of um, Aditya Sharma. So that sort of stuck with me. And now it's just become like a part of my identity. It wasn't something I planned, but uh, I'm glad it stuck by actually. That's awesome.
0: And uh, and based on like a conversation we had before, I know that one of the things that's really dear to you is the stigma around being a male dancer in Kathak. So could you tell us a little bit about that?
1: Yeah, sure. Um, So being a male classical dancer itself raises an eyebrow. Uh, Good to some and not good to the others. So in my opinion, um, I think we've come a long way now but just the fact that um, there's not that many male classical dancers out there. I don't know what it is, but um, I mean, again, we are evolving, but there is still this, uh, I don't know what you'd call it, maybe a social boundary with male classical dancers that I've observed. Uh, So for me, that's like a very sensitive topic. It's something I'm pretty passionate about uh, because I don't believe that dance is sort of particular to a gender. I think it's more about the art than the artist. So, yeah, that's something that I sort of, you know, try and get across a lot, which is also, again, connected to my Instagram handle. It could have just been the Kathak dancer or Aditya Kathak or something. But I don't know why I just like the fact that I'm mentioning um, that dancer boy there. I feel like it's, in a way, for me, it's sort of setting a benchmark. Do you get what I'm saying?
0: uh yes and uh, let's dig, dig a little deeper on this uh you said there are some social boundaries around it so could you give us an example of what you what your experience has been with this
1: uh yeah sure um so i've experienced a little bit of discrimination kind of bullying of sorts you can say uh, there is the whole stereotype that men don't dance right i'm sure you are aware of it and and right. would this would know about it um so i've kind of had that built up since school because i'm The stereotypical male is supposed to be, you know, a football player or an athlete or someone who's not very inclined towards the arts, at least in my experience, that's what it's been. And uh, there you have this guy who is uh, totally into classical dancing and is, you know, focusing on artistic things and, I don't know, sketching and drawing and contemporary arts and movement. And that sort of just stuck along and I was tagged a lot for it. I was kept out of a lot of things as a kid. solely for the fact that uh, I didn't fit the male stereotype criteria. Uh, be it in school or sometimes even at, you know, um, social gatherings or family events, I was looked at differently. Uh, whereas, in my opinion, there is no reason for someone to be looking at you that way. Uh, so, yeah, that's sort of um, where I kind of stand with male dancers and the stigma for it.
0: Okay, and so you faced it. All this bullying and it must have not been easy, but you're, you're here now and you're still practicing. So what helped yeah. you and as a child, what helped you get through those difficult times and continue with your art? Um,
1: so I come from a family that has, uh, in India, you would say the typical Sharma family where everyone is a doctor or an engineer or a lawyer. Um, and I was probably the first one in my family to sort of branch out into uh, commerce and arts for that matter. Uh, so I think one of the main uh, sort of motivational factors for me was my mom. She's been someone who's continually supported me, irrespective of what decision I take. If tomorrow I want to get up and walk out of a degree, she would be like, oh, you know what, if that makes you happy, go for it. So she's sort of been there for me um, through most of these situations. She's helped me a lot. And um, just the fact that I'm doing this for me, that's kept me going through a lot of things. from a very young age, I feel like I've had a sense of calling towards what I want to do. I'm not the kind of person who would think twice about I'm very impulsive that way. If there's something I really want to do, I don't think twice about it. I just go ahead and do it. So um, from a young age, it's been a lot of ignoring things that don't matter and sort of focusing on things that matter for me.
0: Okay. And uh, on this note, since you have this experience and... If there are kids out there, if there are guys, like boys out there who are trying to, who are going through the same things that you did, what advice would you give them so that they can maybe deal with the situation a little better and learn from your experiences?
1: Oh, um, for sure. Uh, first and foremost, if you're doing it, do it for yourself, irrespective of who tells you whatever, um, whatever other issues that might be in and around. If you are passionate about something. Uh, since we talk about dance, let's say if you are passionate about dancing, nobody else's opinion should influence your thought process. If it's something you want to do, then there shouldn't be anything in the way. Definitely, you'll find obstacles like, um, you know, convincing your family members sometimes, convincing your even yourself sometimes. But I think the most important thing is for you to stay focused on it. If you feel like you have a calling towards it, don't spend too much time. Exploring whether it's an actual calling, if you feel like it's there, just uh, sort of immerse yourself in it and I think that should really help you. Considering the fact that we are in 2020 now, things have changed a lot and arts have progressed a long way as well. So for anyone who's trying to pursue arts, I think uh, it's a very lucrative field but it's a very demanding field at the same time. It really requires your sort of personal investment, both financially and mentally. So yeah, if you have that willpower to do it, I don't think anything should stop you.
0: And do you have any advice of dealing with specific situations, say, where you're in a group setting and you hear a comment from a family member or friends and do you have any tactics to deal with that in the moment and then dealing with them later on? Mm -hmm.
1: Um, So what I usually do is, uh, first of all, I'm very proud of my art. Um, There is nothing shameful about being a dancer. So if you do hear a snide comment or two, I think the best thing you can do is educate people about um, the field that you're in. You Whether you do good or do bad, people are going to speak. Someone is always going to have something nasty to say about your work or you. Um, but again, it's all about your personal mindset and your the, where you stand with your work. So um, if you are in a certain sort of setting where someone said something, I would personally say, maybe take a moment to educate them about, hey, this is not what I do or, hey, this is what my job is or what, you know, my story is. And I don't think you are in the position to be saying anything if you haven't experienced what I've done. Because of course, dance is a lot of hard work. So for me, I always take a moment to tell people that it's not just, you know, going on stage. There's so many other things involved to being a dancer. There is... Um, You know, tiny things like costume management and event management and figuring out your stage, your crew, your music, all these things put together are things that people normally don't take into account. So for them, it's just, oh, you spend time, you know, rehearsing in a studio and you go up. It doesn't seem that hard. So maybe if you're in a situation like that, probably take the time to educate them. Now that you've discussed that, could you tell
0: us a little bit about your training and lineage and where you come from when it comes to Kathak? Uh,
1: so I started uh, learning Kathak from, I think, was it the 6th or the 7th grade? I don't really remember. Uh, but initially, I trained under uh, Guru Arpita Rao. Unfortunately, she's no more. Uh, this was sort of remote training. I've never really been in the fashion of giving exams for Kathak. But I started with her. Um, it was under the Jaipur Gharana of Kathak initially, but uh, she did teach me a little of Lucknow Gharana as well. I mean, I don't see too much of a stark difference between the two. Uh, then I stopped uh, in between for a brief period uh, during 10th grade, and then um, Thai moved to the States. So then uh, I w- I kind of lost touch with her. Uh, but then I joined um, this year, in fact, I joined uh, Srimati Anjana Gupta. She is the founder of space academy in bangalore and i have uh, sort of moved in full time with them and yeah i'm currently training with them as well and sort of performing for them uh,
0: so would you say this transition for from jaipur to katha uh, to Ghana was more or less seamless for you because you said you
1: uh, your- are yeah. eight so to be very honest jaipur gharana um, it's just when you start learning the intricacies of the gharanas when you'll see the difference between the two uh, a lot of people will tell you lucknow gharana is very influenced by mughal culture whereas you know jaipur gharana is very technically focused on you know your spins and the footwork that you have but i didn't really notice that much of a stark difference until i learned certain pieces that are unique to each gharana like um, there is a Sargam in uh, Authentic the Jaipur Gharana which I learnt under uh, Pandit Rajendra Gangani. Uh, that piece is very physically demanding and you can see even in the chakras that you take in that piece, you will see the authenticity of Jaipur Gharana. Whereas uh, if you uh, have seen uh, Guru Mayadidi's uh, Lucknow uh, Taranas, the Darbari Tarana, uh, that has a very subtle and, you know, a very powerful impact, but again, it's not, it's very controlled as opposed to a Jaipur Gharana piece. So that's sort of in a way affected my training as well, because I feel like I have the power in my footwork, but then I try and focus a lot on bringing that control uh, from the Lucknow Gharana.
0: I see. And could you tell us a little bit about your current academy and space where you are at now? What's it like being there?
1: Yeah. Um, so... Space is uh, an academy run by Guru Anjana Gupta and she is assisted by her daughter, Shruti Gupta. Uh, They are currently taking classes online because of the pandemic. They are pretty well known in Bangalore. Uh, Thai, that is Anjana Thai, she has uh, several certifications and she's honestly one of the most spiritually sound people I have met. (laughs) She's really changed my life uh, in terms of uh, not just training, but in the way I see things and the way I approach things. Uh, so SPACE has more than about 150 students. I don't have a count for you, but uh, they're one of the most well-known academies in Bangalore. They take classes both online for students in India and abroad. Um, and then they'll probably resume once things get better, considering the COVID situation. I
0: understand. And how What would you How would you say Anjana Ji is, is as a teacher in terms of like how she imparts the
1: art? Uh, She is a very very patient woman. Uh, Anjana Didi has been extremely extremely resourceful when it comes to uh, understanding the origin of every single movement and uh, from, you know, just the way your body is supposed to stand and your structure and everything. uh, It's been a very different experience learning from her. It's something that I really hope I can sort of deliver someday to other people. She doesn't just take the time to explain the art form to you, but she takes time to explain every little thing, Uh, you know, things like the thought process behind the music that she composes or um, a tukda or a tihai that she composes. She really sort of goes in depth to tell you what the the emotion or the thought process was. And as a dancer, I feel that's very important because when you understand where the musician is coming from, where the artist is coming from, where... um, the instrument itself is coming from, or the movements are coming from. You sort of are able to deliver it in that sense or in that spirit. So yeah, I think um, she's she's had a huge impact on my training, even though it's been a little over maybe what eight months. Yeah, that's awesome. And uh, uh,
0: this is one thing I do like to ask everyone: Is there a way of how do how does she? deal with situations where if, if a student is behind on RIAs and they need to catch up and just to enforce that concept of you need to practice daily to be good at
1: this. Right. Um, tai is very uh, particular about uh, your training. She will never run behind you to train. Uh, she keeps telling us that it is her job to guide us but it is our job to take that guidance. So she will tell us what we need to practice but you will never see her forcefully telling you that, oh, why haven't you practiced today? She says that it's completely dependent on you, what you want to do and where you want to take your art. So if you're serious about it, she keeps telling us that you will sort of um, know how much practice you require. If this is a field that you're getting into, then your body will teach you your own ways. Of course, there is the, uh, you know, regular practice that she does emphasize on if you're a, you know, if you're learning full time under her, she won't, not tell you to practice but at the same time she'll imply a lot of things to you Uh, and I personally feel that's very effective rather than you know having chasing down someone continuously and saying oh why haven't you practiced today I feel like telling them that look this is in the ball is in your court it's up to you if you want to take this up or not and then that sort of works for you in your favor I feel. I
0: see. That's interesting. And in my conversations with Kathakars, I've realized that riyaz is a very personal journey for each and every person, okay. and it feels different. So, what is your, what are your riyaz rituals, or what does your riyaz look like?
1: So, for the longest time, riyaz for me was uh, just a way of, you know, dancing and letting it out. But I think it's it's just with time that you'll understand that riyaz isn't just practicing your art, but it's also a way of you sort of understanding what you're doing. So for me, before uh, kriyas was just, you know, do tatkar for a couple of minutes and 20 minutes of training and going through whatever I've learned before. But now I spend time trying to see how I can make a basic tatkar vary in terms of, you know, numeric combinations and the way I want to do the footwork, where I can emphasize where I need to tone it down. And I spend a lot of time just observing my body in front of the mirror. So for me, Riyaz usually starts that way. I spend a good 20-25 minutes just observing my body, checking my lines, just getting into sort of my comfort zone. And then I spend a lot of time rehearsing things that I've already learned, uh, full-length performance pieces that I've already learned. Uh, I break it down into just perfecting the movements first and then understanding the emotion behind it. There are days where I just sit down and listen to the song rather than getting up and physically dancing because I maybe want to dwell more on the emotion behind the piece. Like if um, if you're familiar with the concepts of Ashtanaikas, the eight Nayakas, each of them have a very specific um, emotion to the character. So to understand that you can't really dance it out. You have to sort of first become that character before you take on that journey. So that way I sort of um, mix up my riyas sometimes. Either I work just on Abhinaya or I work just on my technique part. Um,
0: I I know very vaguely about the Ashtanaikas, so could you tell me a little bit more about what that is?
1: Uh, uh, Okay, cool. So I'm also just learning about the Ashtanaikas, but basically it's from um, a feminine point of view or from the character is, a, is essentially a female and uh, all of them are sort of either longing for or uh, looking for their lovers. Uh, there are eight Ashtanaikas. Let's see if I can get this right. There is Abhisarika Naika. Uh, she is the heroine who sets out to meet her beloved. Uh, so she's sort of looking for him. Uh, then there is, uh, I think, Vasaka Sajjanaika. Yeah. She's, uh, she's the heroine who adorns herself with, um, you know, pleasure and uh, lustful things and she sort of gets herself ready f- to meet her beloved. So she's again expecting to see him, but from a romantic point of view, um, the, I mean, this can go on. There are so many of them. But basically the Ashtanaikas have different characters and the heroines are sort of, their emotions are dedicated towards the beloved. So. You also have a, a Naika called the Virod Khandita Naika, who is someone who is dejected or is feeling, you know, uh, she's feeling uh, feelings of uh, disappointment or shame towards her lover. She shuns her lover for being unfaithful. So these are the different kinds of characters you have. Uh, I'm currently only familiar with Khandita Naika and uh, Abhisarika Naika because it's a long journey to understand all of them. But yeah. That's awesome. I'm looking forward to that journey
0: as well. And so since you've uh, been doing Kathak for a while now, have you? do you do any assistant teaching or any teaching on the side? Or have you had any mentorship moments?
1: I have taken a few workshops here and there, um, both for Kathak and for um, Bollywood and semi-classical and those kind of things. But that's a different ballgame altogether. I've not really mentored in class per se, like uh, in Kathak class, because I feel like I'm not ready yet to be teaching someone. I'm still on the learning journey myself. So I've refrained from uh, sort of teaching Kathak yet. I feel like when I get there, maybe I could. But yeah, otherwise, other than Kathak, I have taken several workshops in and around for different styles. That's an interesting
0: question, Aditya, because a lot of people I ask, they will tell you Kathak is a lifelong journey.
1: Yeah. So yeah what,
0: at what point would you, would you do you think that switch happens in a Kathakar that they feel that they can teach now? How long do you think that takes, in your opinion?
1: Um, I can't put a timestamp on it for you, but what I keep telling myself is that if there is a question that you don't have an answer to, then you're not ready. Uh, if someone were to, like how you asked me about Abhisarika Naika and the other Ashtanaikas today, I can't tell you completely in depth about all of them because I'm personally not well-versed. Now, if you were to ask me, let's say hypothetically, if I was completely prepared with them and if you asked me a question about Abhisarika Naika specifically and I wasn't able to answer that question to you, then I feel like I'm not ready. So in that respect, when if I were to be a teacher, I need to have the answer to the smallest of things. That's when I feel like you're ready to teach. So I think it's, It differs from person to person, but for me, I think until I don't have the answers for myself, I don't think I'll be ready. That's interesting. and I really appreciate your honesty in this. And since you mentioned workshops, could you tell us about
0: how you started doing Kathak workshops and what that experience has been like?
1: Right. So, um, Kathak workshops, I've honestly not really taught performance pieces or uh, compositions. It's more of been uh, just workshops introducing people to the grammar of Kathak, or giving them, you know, a glimpse into the world of what Kathak is. So um, here in Bristol, in fact, I had a couple of in-house presentations where uh, they were sort of interactive sessions where I performed one or two very basic pieces, like a simple tarana, uh, some footwork compositions, and a few, you know, patterns of Tehais and stuff. And I sort of just introduced people to the grammar of Kathak, gave them a full background on what it is, where it originated from. And uh, towards the end, I sort of had a uh, interactive session where I taught them a few you know, basic Tatkar movements and some of the hands that we have in Kathak, just to sort of give them an idea. But I haven't really taken full-fledged Kathak workshops as such to, to teach anything other than just this.
0: I see. And since you were taking workshops in Bristol, was your audience already aware of Kathak or were you just starting from scratch?
1: Um, There were a few art lovers, definitely. uh, But a wide variety of them, I feel like here abroad, unless people don't have the training, they're not really aware of what it is, especially with Indian classical arts. Um, A lot of... Organization, not organizations, but you know, a lot of clubs I've seen, a lot of groups I've seen uh, who label themselves as classical teachers or groups are using um, very weird combinations of music to be teaching classical dance to. Now, any guru will tell you, or any let's just say um, sound guru will tell you, you, you can't teach Kathak to music. Uh, Kathak is an art form that's taught, and music is just an accompaniment to it. So I feel like there's a lot, a, a big need for people here to sort of be exposed to the art form to know what it is. Uh, so to answer your question, I don't see that many people being very aware of it until they're introduced to it.
0: Understood. And since you mentioned there's a need for the, there to be like more classical Kathak, which is true to the art form, is that something you see yourself taking up as in the future?
1: um i do want to of course definitely uh I'll tell you what i've noticed uh, uh, there's a very fine line between someone being an authentic kathak dancer and someone you know just playing with the grammar of the art form so i myself have been guilty of using um, <laughs> semi classical music sometimes to make uh, a few pieces online but i've tried my best to sort of um, stay composed to the art form. I try not to dilute it uh, because that is a vision that I have. I don't want to ever dilute the art form. Music for me shouldn't be a problem, uh, but the art form should never get diluted. So it's something that I do want to do eventually, but I'm not scared to sort of explore um, the possibilities I have with Kathak or see how far I can bend that line. Uh,
0: so you mentioned doing some online pieces recently. Could you talk about what work you've been up to of late?
1: Uh, yeah, so I have recently shot a video with um, my guru's daughter, Shruti Gupta. Uh, it's a pure Kathak Tarana in Raag vachaspati And it's a blend of both Teental and Japtal. So we recently released that video online. It went up, I think on the 6th to the 7th of October. Uh, that is something I did. And I've put up Uh, just snippets of, you know, uh, Tukdas from old songs and uh, old Bollywood classics. They have, there is a a big uh, influence of Hindustani music in older songs. Like if you see uh, the song Kahe Chhed Chhed Mohe from Devdas, it's an iconic song where uh, Pandit Birju Maharaji has recited a few um, Todas and Tihais in the song. So I sort of shot, you know, tiny little snippets of that. I haven't really got the chance to um, Put up something major yet because I'm still sort of putting together work to put up online. But yeah, that's what I've been working on off late. And uh, I recently shot a semi-classical video. I won't say Kathak, but a semi-classical video with a good friend of mine. Her name's Anchal. You also know her, right? <laughs> so yeah, that's that's all I've been up to off late.
0: Uh, yeah, is uh, the reason we're connected, and yeah, we went to school right. together. So I really appreciate her for that. And. I guess since we're talking about performances and we haven't touched upon it yet, could you tell us about your, the performances you've done over the years that you're really proud of that you want to discuss?
1: Yeah, sure. Uh, so, my if you're talking about Kathak, I've only recently started performing Kathak. Uh, I'd say in my first year of my undergrad degree is when I sort of took it up uh, to a performance level. I started performing way back in two thousand. Twelve or eleven with um, Sharmak Davers, I was part of their uh, performance troupe for the longest time, and I was doing shows with them. Uh, there's a show called Confidance, which is uh, dedicated to you know a, a select set of students from the Sharmak Institute. So I was with that um, showcase for about four years, and I kind of performed um, in and outside India with them for various events and corporate shows, and then I started uh, sort of performing Kathak properly uh, in my first year of undergrad uh, where i did put up a few solos for you know a couple of small competitions here and there and i did choreograph a few group pieces uh, again at a college level itself uh, but yeah that's that's when it sort of picked up my big performance break came in 2019 when i launched yatra dance productions uh, which is my own uh, unit performing unit in bangalore so we premiered a show in january that's when i think uh, performing took like a big uh, role in my life. And after that, I think the next big performance I gave was here in um, Bristol, which was uh, a solo performance called talvastar I performed alongside Deepa. So we presented a duet performance. Deepa is a close friend of mine from uni here. So she presented Bharat Natyam, I presented Kathak. And yeah, that's, that's pretty much been some of the big ones. I did have one show in London as well. Um, yeah, but that that's about it.
0: Okay, so yeah, that gives us a lot to discuss. Um, It looks like the Shamuk and confidence was a big part of your life. Seems like getting into that showcase troupe was okay. a huge deal as well. Tell me a little bit about how that happened, how you got in and just take us a little bit of what, what life in that troupe was like.
1: Uh, so Shamak happened for me when uh, my best friend sort of asked me to join classes with her. So we were doing this regular batch uh, for Contemporary with them and I just so happened to join. And I think the vibe at Shamok was very different. I owe a lot to them in terms of building my confidence as a performer because uh, every dancer I met from there taught me something. Every instructor I met taught me something. Uh, If not on a dance level, at least on on an emotional or a spiritual level that sort of shaped me uh, to be ready for stage. And then I think when I joined their batch called the Special Potential Batch, I had to like audition and get through for that. Uh, That's when my sort of um, confidence peaked with them because they really made me test myself. Uh, Over the years, I sort of realized my calling for Kathak, so I eventually phased myself out of it. But I think for the longest time that I was a part of them, uh, I learned how to be more comfortable with my body in terms of dancing. I learned how to be more confident with uh, the surroundings on stage. Uh, you won't believe it, but I am, I still, till date, I'm scared of stepping foot on stage. I have miserable stage fright, even though it may not seem that way. But That's uh, really interesting. I've seen
0: your performances. You don't seem like you're bad I know. at all, but I believe you, but it's, it's very interesting. Go ahead.
1: It's a little video. I, I freak out when I have to step into that performance area. So I think they've really taught me how to keep my cool and stay composed, giving me a ton of opportunities to sort of put myself out there. So I've learned a lot from there. And uh, I think once I phased out of there and started my own thing, I have sort of imbibed a lot of their teaching and practicing techniques into my own sort of uh, personal areas, if you would say.
0: Okay. And you mentioned something really interesting there that you realized Kathak was your calling while you were in a contemporary dance show how did that happen?
1: So uh, this actually happened, I think in 2016, was it? Yeah. When uh, I don't get me wrong, I do enjoy uh, contemporary and stuff equally, if not more in certain situations. I think the joy I felt when I stepped on stage with my Goombarus tied on my feet and with a purpose uh, to sort of of do justice to this art form. Of course, you do justice to every other art form, but when it comes to Kathak, I just felt like there is something different. You don't just have a responsibility to the art form, you have a responsibility to the instrument that you're wearing, which is your Gurus, you have an an immense amount of responsibility to make sure you don't do the wrong thing on stage. Uh, Not in terms of movement, but in terms of the dance form. So if, I mean, just to give you an understanding, I always tell myself that for me, Kathak is more about informing and imparting than just showcasing. There's a lot of glamour in the art form, but at the same time, I feel like there's a higher purpose to it. Uh, It's not just, you know, looking pretty on stage and having a lot of bells on your feet. It's again, trying to make your audience understand the differences between the instruments that you have, the... Uh, performative skill that you possess as an artist and what you can bring differently. So yeah, for me, uh, when I saw all these things in Kathak, I felt like there is so much you can explore. There are so many things that I still don't know about this art form that I really want to learn and want to experience. So I felt like that is something that sort of you know enriched my calling towards this.
0: That's awesome. So now this is this back to next question that. Now you've realized Kathak is your calling. You're in this really established dance troupe doing really well. And now you've branched out on your own and you started Yatra Productions. That's very bold. And that sounds scary as well. So how did you deal with the initial fear and overcoming all of that?
1: Um, So Yatra was, again, I told you, a super impulsive person. So way back in 2018, I randomly decided in the middle of August that, hey, look, uh, I think it's time I... Put some clarity into what I want to do because I was just performing and you know being part of different troops and different performance pieces, but I didn't really have a like a direction. So I said, okay, you know what? Maybe let's take up this responsibility for myself and put myself on a path so that I know what I'm doing. And then I just decided to uh, you know put out a a word saying, hey, I'm looking for dancers for this this idea that I have, and it would be nice if you know someone would just hear me out. Tell me maybe, yeah, this will work or this won't work. And just that one message of, you know, putting it out there and saying, hey, I'm looking for someone to listen to me turned into uh, one of the best experiences of my life. And uh, Yatra Dance Productions became like a very, very integral part of my final year of college because it sort of helped me keep a balance between the amount of work I had to manage in an undergrad degree, the amount of things I had to manage at home, and then like this little breakaway of my own. And yeah, we premiered a show in January, which sort of culminated into an hour and a half long showcase. And after that, I sort of felt like I had, you know, clarity as to what I want as a dancer or what I want to be as a dancer and where I stand with it.
0: Just to dig into that a bit more, could you tell us a little bit about what you're trying to achieve with Yatra Dance Productions? What is its mission?
1: Um, so for me, Yatra was all about breaking boundaries in classical dance. Uh, so even the show that we premiered uh, was called The Journey of a Dancer. Uh, normally, The Journey of a Dancer would be, uh, you know, the experience they've had in class or things like that. But I sort of took the show in a direction where you bring out all the realities of life. So there could be certain situations where you might not have a supportive family. There could be situations where you face you know spite and dance class with other artists you face jealousy you face hatred you face negativity these are all things that i put together in the show and sort of brought it through a production in classical dance so uh, right from the costume to the movements to uh, the storyline i sort of really played with the boundaries but at the same time i i tried very very hard to attempt and attempt to maintain the grammar of the art form and i think my the work spoke for itself uh we had a great turnout we had insane responses to the show and a lot of people mentioned and i do remember this comment very distinctively uh from one of the art critics who had come they said that the work that you do is very challenging it's very innovative but at the same time it it really tests the boundaries of classical dance but sort of stays on that line. So keep doing what you do because not a lot of people out there try and break that boundary or try and touch that surface. So I think my my goal with Yatra, the productions at some point will be to tread along that line and see how far I can push the boundaries, but uh, how humbly I can push those boundaries. Because at the same time, I don't want to be, uh, you know, really testing it too much. Because, of course, everything will have its breaking point. Uh, as far as I can walk within that boundary, I will. I see.
0: And um, just so that I understand a bit more, what mm-hmm. are the boundaries itself in dance that you see that you're trying to push? What are the ba- Where are the boundaries right now?
1: So, um, again, I feel like this is something that varies from person to person. For me, the boundary would come with... Um, diluting the art form, you'll see a lot of artists out there today uh, who've probably done a class or two, maybe a month's worth of classical training and putting out the most obscene (laughs) content on Instagram or YouTube. Um, There was a very, very distinct example that I remember that disgusted me. Um, There's a song out there called uh, WAP or WAP, however you pronounce it by Cardi B. I'm sure you're familiar with this. Yes, sir. A million classical dancers on Instagram absolutely ruin the form with this song and their own challenges and versions. That for me is really, that's not even just crossing the boundary, that's looking at the boundary and completely walking over it and crossing to the other side. Um, for me, things like that really tick me off. Uh, some people I have noticed have sort of... Um, demoralized classical dance a lot of them have uh, used it very differently now as much as i am um, supportive of people trying new things i am very very particular about people using classical dance to explore you know different concepts and different realms there are some shows that i've been to where uh, artists of a completely different style have just suddenly incorporated Random parts of classical dance. And I mean, it's not a bad thing, but then again, you need to understand uh, that classical dance isn't just any other dance form. There's a very, very strong spiritual connection to it. So there are a lot of things that uh, have gone into the creation of this process. Uh, A lot of really senior artists and gurus and teachers have put in. I mean, you will know uh, Kathak is a. As the word gharana comes from ghar, it is something that personal. It's come from somebody's household. So, if you are an artist who's using this art form, I think you have an immense responsibility to sort of uphold the values of that household or gharana that you follow or um, that you practice. So, for me, I think the boundary comes with making sure that you are presenting modern work. But at the same time, you are respecting the boundaries that were set or the patterns of sort of execution that was set by these gharanas so that you don't disrespect the artist who put so much time and effort into creating that.
0: That that makes sense. And another part of the boundary I want to discuss is, and since you mentioned costumes, uh, are you very involved in the costume design? How, fa- how much of an input do you have in that? And how far do you go into that?
1: For me, costumes play a very, very important role. Um, I'm all about looking glamorous on stage. But uh, I think I choose very, very sober colors for stage uh, because I don't want costumes to take away too much from what I'm presenting. So I try and maintain my costumes very... Uh, simple, but I do play a lot with um, just two colors. I try not to keep my costumes monotonous. I design all my costumes myself. Um, I feel like I can't trust somebody with another costume, or either that, or I'm just too particular about the things that I want. But yeah, for me, costumes play a very important role, um, almost equal to the kind of music that I choose or the kind of um, instruments that I want as a part of my. Uh, ensemble or performance piece. Uh, Again, costumes differ from person to person. It's totally personal preference, but I I am a stark, uh, I mean, not stark, but I think I I don't enjoy um, people who use very, very loud colors on stage. I feel like it takes away too much from what you're trying to put forward.
0: Yeah, I guess as someone who's just new to Kathak, I'm very curious about it because I don't have much of an eye for color or anything. How do Kathakas learn about costume designing and the sense of color how does that how does that instruction happen over the years
1: um so no one really teaches you costumes uh, that's what i was wondering uh i think it's just been a lot of observation. so i draw my influences for costumes from the weirdest things possible uh, i'll give you an example there was this one costume of mine that was steel blue and um, sort of sky blue I got that inspiration for the costume from a JBL speaker that I saw for sale uh, in, the, in a market. The colors just worked so well for me that I went on this hunt and I looked for fabrics that matched that color and I looked for patterns that I enjoyed. And then it's more or less just trial and error with these things. I sort of you know kept putting them together. There have been days where I've literally spent hours on the road taking pictures of different colors, coming home, printing them out and piecing them together. And seeing, hey, will this work? Will that work? Uh, and I think it's something that just uh, costumes are very personal. So you can be very commercial with them. But at the same time, you can give your own take to them. So for me, you'll see a lot of stonework on my costumes. You'll see a lot of kundan things on my costume. Because I like, um, I like the impact that stones have under stage light. So I try and incorporate them as much as I can. That way, I think it's just with trial and error, you'll figure out what you want.
0: The funny thing is when you mentioned JBL Steel Blue speaker, I knew which speaker you were talking about. I've seen, were. <laughs> I've seen that one on Amazon. Yeah, it's very yeah, popular I mean, right now. So, and uh, I guess another aspect I want to touch with you is makeup. Because I've seen with, especially with male dancers, there is a spectrum in the sense, some people uh, like um, like a completely shaven face and a full face of makeup and some people do none. And I've seen okay. that full spectrum across Mielka Thak dancers. So where, do you, what is your makeup methodology or wh- where do you stand on it or how do you use it for
1: performances? Um, so for me, I am very particular about being clean shaven for stage just because it's for no other reason uh, other than the fact that uh, it's just easier to apply makeup on your face if uh, you are presenting something bare-chested. I think just for the, the sheer aesthetic value of the human body, I think I prefer people who are clean shaved or, um, you know, have a clean body that way. Not that I'm against it. It's just visually more appealing that way. Uh, When it comes to makeup for the face, I am very, very minimal. Uh, I do know that classical dance requires you to have slightly more um, potent makeup on your face. It it should be a little stronger because the stage lights sort of cancel it out. But um, my makeup routine is just A little bit of foundation, concealer for the ugly acne scars that I have, a million of them. (laughs) Um, A little highlighter, again, depends on the height of the stage. I don't use highlighter if I'm at base level with my audience. Whereas if my stage is a little higher up from the audience, then I tend to use a little bit of highlighter because your features just get accentuated more. Um, Yeah, I don't really have a very rigorous makeup routine. Uh, Just enough for stage. But... At the same time, you can't just go on stage with an empty face. I feel like um, a strong eyeliner situation, uh, especially for men, will really, really help uh, bring out the character that you are trying to portray or just add so much more aesthetic value to a classical dancer. Because other than just our hands and legs, I think we use our eyes a lot. Your eyes speak volumes in classical dance. So uh, if you're able to sort of get the best eyeliner possible and get the best wing on your eye, I think. It really adds a huge, huge um, glamorous touch to your um, dancing.
0: Okay, that thanks for like sharing your routine as well. Um, last year, I had my first showcase. A so year into dancing, so just mm-hmm. beginner showcase. Um, okay. My 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 fellow dancers with who were helping me with the makeup had a blast seeing me <laughs> trying to apply eyeliner for the first time. I think they just lost. Uh, it,
1: it took me a good three and a half hours before I could get one side of my face right. I think it's just. I don't know. It's not possible.
0: (laughs) Okay. So I'll get Chogun nailed down before I can nail down an eyeliner. Then it seems. then again,
1: uh, just a quick tip if you're doing makeup, um, if it's an intimate setting, make sure your face is really well done because people are going to be up close to you. Interesting. Before that, you (laughs) are away from your audience, the more you can experiment with your makeup. So just make sure you're ready for stage that way.
0: Uh, On this note, because this is something I always wondered. Mm -hmm. So since Katha has a huge focus on Abhinaya and expressions. And mm-hmm. you see these huge stages where Kathakas perform and the audience is so far away that you can't see their expressions. So how do mm-hmm. Kathakas compensate for that?
1: Um, I haven't really had an experience or been to a show where the artist is too far away from me.
0: Okay. But
1: I think it all... It's again a matter of personal perspective. If you're familiar with uh, Abhinaya, It shouldn't be hard uh, for a dancer to translate that to you. But at the same time, if the artist doesn't know how to put it across, Mm -hmm. I could be right in front of your face and not understand a word of what you're trying to put across through your expressions. I see. Uh, I think that's something very uh, individual to a dancer. If they learn the skill of Abhinaya well, it doesn't matter if you're sitting right next to me or 10 miles away from me, you will still know what I'm doing.
0: Interesting. Okay, that makes sense, and that brings me to my next thing. Uh, you're so you're in Bristol. Do you, you just? I just saw that you finished your master's in marketing and management.
1: Correct. Just got done. Submitted my thesis, and I am a free bird.
0: Congratulations! I know that what that <laughs> feels like. Uh, oh, could yeah. you tell us the? Have you found application of your degree towards promoting Katha, and has that helped you further? Um, your
1: message. Actually, uh, even my undergrad degree was in management and marketing. I did business administration uh, and I feel like that is an inevitable skill that a dancer will need to learn or imbibe at some point of time. If uh, you, like, let's say Yatra for me, Yatra Dance Productions, I didn't just handle the choreography part of it. I had to handle the advertising. I had to handle the online Instagram page. I had to handle every social media channel answer emails get into marketing channels to promote our stuff uh, it is a wholesome process you will 100% need to learn how to manage things you'll learn, need to learn how to market yourself otherwise there's only so much that your work can do for you but if you don't know how to get it out there if you don't have the resources to uh, communicate your work, work to other people uh, you could be the best dancer in town and I would have no idea who you are
0: Right. And I feel like you might have a pulse on this. So could you tell us in terms of Kathak, mm-hmm. what is the reach of Kathak on the various social media platforms out there? Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, TikTok, LinkedIn.
1: Uh, growing a lot more now. Uh, I think with even with the onset of COVID, uh, everything has just moved online. So now you have a huge access to not just artists, but different... Um, workshops, different uh, sort of intensives online. And there's just a huge market for people in the Kathak industry to learn now. Uh, you're At the same time that you're learning, you're being exposed to so many other artists online. Uh, I feel like it's a, a huge, huge jump, in, especially in the Kathak community.
0: And see, if someone was to start out social media marketing in Kathak, Which, which, which platform should they prioritize and then move on to the other ones?
1: Um, Again, this, I wouldn't be able to give you a direct answer. It all depends on which audience you're targeting. So uh, if you're putting up your stuff on YouTube, you're engaging with um, artists, art critiques, you're engaging with uh, just a general audience, but at the same time, you're engaging with anyone who wants to know what Kathak is. At the same time, if you have an Instagram profile, your a large segment of your audience is going to be uh, the youth and the younger generation of people. So then uh, your work inevitably gets shown to them. Though there are art critics and other people on Instagram, I feel like your work reaches a lot more youngsters on that platform. So then it's again, just um, a choice that you would want to make. I can't say you'd have to prioritize one platform over the other. But it's nice to have a presence on every platform so that you're more, I mean, the more accessible you are, the easier it is. If you're out of sight, you're out of mind.
0: That is the reality of it. So thank you for putting it that way. Um, I guess uh, then the next thing I wanted to ask you is you have, so you have, you have Yatra and Bangalore and you have and you're trying to and you're doing some stuff here in bristol so mm-hmm. once we get to a sense of normalcy you know covid is strange and we, you're also doing stuff through covid as well which is commendable so where do you mm-hmm. see yourself taking kathak in the next few years um
1: i eventually do want to be full-time in this industry but because uh i just i just haven't inclined towards this industry and this art form but until I feel like I'm not uh, physically and spiritually ready, I won't get into it. And at the same time, uh, I can't full-fledged get into dancing because the reality of the situation is the field doesn't pay well in your initial years. You do need a side uh, job for you to be supporting your artistic dreams. Uh, unfortunately, out there are not a lot of people that will uh, you know, really fund you well for uh, the arts. It's a very... Uh, labor intensive but uh, not very well paying industry in your initial years, of course. Uh, once you are full time into it and you get into the flow of things, it's different. But that transition into the industry, the entry into the industry is hard. So for me, I think until I'm financially stable enough, um, it will be um, sort of in its building blocks. But when I feel like I'm ready, uh, both financially and physically, uh, physically in terms of, you know, having my training and everything in place, I can dive into it full-fledged.
0: Yeah, if you could expand on this a bit, I understand being uh, ready financially and physically, that I can relate mm-hmm. with. You also mentioned that you want to be ready spiritually. Uh, what does that mean for you?
1: Um. So spiritually for me, uh, I've had only one experience, uh, particularly with Yatra, uh, there was a section in between our one of our performance pieces where we made an offering to um, the Nataraja idol that was kept on stage. And for some reason, uh, among uh, an audience of 400 ch- hooting and cheering, um, temple bells ringing in the background and music, I just saw myself and the dance, like the Nataraja idol that was kept there. and for a second everything phased out and i just connected and i felt like it's very weird to explain okay i might sound crazy but for a second i genuinely felt connected to something else something bigger than me and i felt like i really achieved some sort of spiritual um, connection that day it's very hard to explain what dance did to me that day but after that experience i realized that I wasn't, um, though it was a beautiful experience, I wasn't in the right mind to accept it yet. It still came as a shock to me. Uh, I'm still on the journey of figuring out how I can make that connect with dance and um, the higher beings for that uh, purpose. But yeah, spiritually ready, I would say when when I know how I can sort of, you know, translate my work to that entity.
0: Yeah, and that's really a profound thought. And I guess that's a great way to end the conversation as well. Because I think that's a lovely note. Um, I guess and yeah, I would just say thanks a lot, Aditya. I learned a lot from you. Yeah. And it was a great pleasure talking to you. And pleasure. And best of luck in your journey. I'm I'm looking i I'll I'll be following you and I want to see what you come up with next.
1: Uh looking forward to it. <laughs>